I wondered what you all looked like. <clears throat> I'm reminded of that old preacher who stood up before a congregation and said, I'm just glad to be here. Then he thought for a moment, said to himself, you know, at my age, I'm just glad to be anywhere. <laughs> um, but I'm glad to be here and, and fill in for Wayne. Um, what I'd like to do uh, is to turn to a psalm. It seems to me that when I sub for people, uh, you, 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 you go to the psalms. Uh, they're an entity that you can speak to and walk away from. Um, so if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Psalm 27. Um, this is a psalm uh, written by David, the great king. Um, it has no superscription, uh, which means there's no contextualization of the psalm, which I take to be good in this sense that it's universal. Um, it, it, it's beyond circumstances of life. Um, so what I'd like to do, uh, one thing I'd like to do, uh, obviously I'm not a Bible teacher. <laughs> I've been faking it for 50 some years. Um, uh, I'm a historian. I deal with the dead. Um, if I don't like what they say, I change it. Um, so, um, but one thing I like to do uh, in serious vein is to just look at the Bible. Um, sometimes I sit in my Archie Bunker chair and just look at the great book, uh, turn its pages, meditate upon it. And uh, that's what I'd like to do in this little psalm. It's only 14 verses. Um, as I said, uh, David wrote this when he wrote it. Under what circumstances he wrote it, I don't know. Um, if I were trying to summarize the whole psalm in a simple sentence, I would say this. Times of trouble, which we all have, uncertainty and stress, call for trust in the Lord. I think that's the whole point of the psalm. When difficulties, and we all have them, it's a litany in our lives, it's our biography. Um, I, I, we, we watched a daughter almost die uh, at 19 of a disease. And that, that was life-changing. I, I still think about that. Um, my mentor that I met at 17 and took his job at 37 and buried him at 57, my age then. Um, the first child were twins. And they died in infancy. And I, uh, I vividly remember every time I'd go to his house, he would take me up to his bedroom and show me his twins. Um, that, that's, well, we could all write our own story. Um, but I, so I think the whole point of what I want to say is that in times of uncertainty, in times of tragedy, and trouble, um, all of us need to turn to the Lord. It's just that simple. And enjoy his presence. I often say to my students, 
When answers aren't enough, there is Jesus. Turn to him. Now, as I look at this psalm by David, a universal psalm, 14 verses, so it's like falling off a log. Um, I generally try to think first about what does it tell me? What are the words in this psalm? What does it tell me, for instance, about the object of the one I trust? And if you look at the psalm, there are two words that are just outstanding. Comfort is only as good as the goodness of the object of comfort. It's just that simple. In verse 4, there's a beautiful word. Beauty. One thing I ask from the Lord, he says, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Beauty. What, what is beauty? Beauty is symmetry, multiplicity, without any hint of duplicity. He is perfect. That's beauty. You take the cacophony of his attributes, and they're perfect. He is truth. He is love. He is compassion. He is mercy. He is justice. All together with no complexity of disagreement. Verse 13, he uses the word good. The goodness of God. When I think of his actions in this psalm, I don't know what you do, but I wake up at night. <laughs> I try to put it off, but uh, it reoccurs. Uh, and I'm laying there saying, what the heck am I doing? Um, I often find solace in psalms. Uh, I quote them to myself. And my favorite is 23. Everybody knows it. The Lord is as a shepherd to me. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He, he restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through life's dark shadows, I will fear no evil because you were with me. Thy rod, thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. I almost thought we would meditate on that one. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's that mean? It means in this presence. In every one of my days, I will not be without his presence. As he led the ancient people by a pillar of fire by night. In the coldness of the wilderness. And a cloud by day to shelter them from the heat. He leads his people. What are God's actions? He is light. Verse 1. He is salvation. Which I take to mean deliverance. He's that. I think when you and I stand in heaven... 
uh, I know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say to him, why didn't I trust you more? He's the defense of my life. He is my helper. Right? The Lord will take me up. Right? Every time I do a funeral, I think that this next Sunday will be the first day they get to be in heaven. As the confidence of David, whom shall I fear? Right? Fear and trust are opposites. And it really boils down to priorities. What you prioritize is what you will trust. It's that simple. That's why we are committed to the scriptures because good ideas are found in good places. Whom shall I dread? My heart will not fear. Imagine that. Just the joy of that. I shall be confident. He will conceal me. He will hide me. All right? He will lift me up. I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing. I sing to the Lord. I always tell my students, if you, set, if you only do what you're good at, you won't do much in this life. So rise above mediocrity, even though you're mediocre, and enjoy it. So I sing a lot, but I can't carry a tune in an allegorical bucket. Okay. When you look at this psalm, 14 verses, it begins and it ends in the same way. So that must be the point. It begins with an expression of confidence in God. Uh, I always think of, of Job. Though he slay me, yet will I love him. And it ends in the same way. Confidence. Between, so in Hebrew we would call that a, an acrostic. It, it's a... It's shaped. It begins with confidence. It ends in confidence. In the middle is a prayer. And the prayer begins negatively and ends negatively. But in between, it's quite positive. It's, it's a beautifully structured Hebraic poem. Now, let's look at it. I think the theme is this. Very simple. In times of uncertainty, in times of pain and distress, we need to turn to the Lord in worship. We need to think about him. So here we go. Verse 1. The Lord. Now, when you look at the word Lord, and observe it in the English print, it's capitalized. But on some occasions, it is not. 
What does that tell us? It tells us that there are two names for God that are spelled the same way. If it's small case, it means mighty, powerful. In this case, and it occurs 11 times, it is capitalized. What does that word mean? It means the, the existent one, the caring one, the one who enters into kindness. I think it's typical for us to say in our pain, no one understands. My wife, I hear it frequently. <coughs> I usually say, honey, suck it up. I don't understand. Um, and that will get you nowhere. Um, he cares. And just the name, uh, it's, the, it's in Hebrew, it's Jehovah. In English translation, it's I am. Just I am. When God said to Moses, or Moses said to God, Exodus 3, who shall I say has sent me? God gave him a name. Tell them, I am has sent you. The eternally existent, condescending, gracious God. So far, so good. Just the word is exciting to me. The Lord, so is expressing confidence. Confidence and fear never go together. They're, they're, they're opposites. And what you put in your mind, what you fill your mind with, will determine your direction. It's that simple. So far, so good. And, and I think our thought is, is that if you fill your mind with wholesomeness, you will emanate wholesome thoughts. If you fill it with fear, the what-ifs that we all grapple with, you will fill it with fear. The Lord is my light. Light shatters darkness, right? And my redemption, my deliverer. Uh, I often say to him, when are you going to show up? But that's another question. Whom shall I fear? The all-powerful, eternally existent God is my friend. Who should I fear? The Lord, same rep repetitious word, is the stronghold of my life. He's my fortress. I often think in Revelation 22, describing the eternal city, describes huge walls that are massively thick. It's a metaphor. What's that a metaphor for? Security. We will be secure forever, right? The Lord is the stronghold, the masada of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Isn't that pretty? You can hear the lyrics of it in a song. When the wicked, what's he saying? God's response to us is timelessly uniform.
when the wicked advance against me to devour me, and we have a lot of enemies creeping about, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble. So he begins his interaction with God with expressing confidence. Right? Though an army besiege me, uh, imagine David's experiences. My heart will not fear. So it's not the size of the enemy of our soul. It's the size of our God. Right? The war break out against me. Even then, I will be confident. So I think as David starts this little poem, he begins where he should, with the very character of God and worship. So far, so good. It's very simple. He will end the same way. So it's easy to memorize. Beginning at verse 4, he speaks of communion with him. One thing I ask from the Lord, uh, so this is David's highest priority. Uh, what do we ask of him? In the manner of sequencing of our asking is our priorities. When Jesus taught us to pray by offering a model in Matthew 6, how does he begin? He says, pray in this manner, this way. Our Father, which art in heaven. And there are three requests. Hallowed be thy name. May your character be worshipped. So prayer begins with a focus on God. It's not a gimme time. He knows our desires before we ask. So why do we ask? Because he's asked us to. That's why. <sighs> Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Who would not want heaven on our doorstep? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Three requests all about him. And then there are three requests about ourselves, but it's in the right order. Give us this day our daily bread. Okay. They didn't have refrigerators. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Don't harbor grudges. And third, lead us not into temptation. Temptation is not sin, but it leads to it. So the writer is saying, Oh, Lord, just don't even get me close. So far, so good. It begins in worship. 
One thing I ask from the Lord, this only I seek, imagine this, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. What's he mean? Does he mean to, he wants to be in, a, in the temple that has not been built? In the tabernacle he could not access because he's not a priest? No, it's a metaphor for God's presence. And what David is saying is, I, I want to live my life in the shadow of your presence. Isn't that pretty? I like that. Why? Verse 4. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord. What is beauty? It's complexity, symmetry, with no distortion. What is beauty when it comes to God? All of his attributes. All of his characteristics. How do we know his characteristics? We know them by his actions. We learn by how he acts, and so we ascribe to him virtue, right? So it's pretty, right? If I were, if I were asked to describe God in one word, and sometimes in seminary classes we meditate on this just to have fun, um, it'd be the word beauty. When I think of him, I think of perfect congruity. He never acts contrary to anything in him. He's just perfect. And if he is perfect in love, I always say to the student, God is love. That's, the Bible says it. Jesus Christ is the love of God revealed to us. And the Holy Spirit is the love of God given to us. That's as simple as it gets. It's beautiful. Verse 5, for in the day of trouble he will keep me safe. Isn't this pretty? He will hide me. It, uh, parallelisms, Hebrew parallelisms. In the shelter of his sacred tent. A tent just means presence. Right? And set me high upon a rock. Right? I don't know what his problem is. Um, but he apparently had it. But he teaches me how I am to react. Then my head will be exalted. Uh, when you lift your head, what do you do? What's the symbolism? It's triumph. Even in the midst of whatever it is, David lifts his head. Because the object is not the fear. It's his God. Right? So I, I think when it comes to walking with God, it comes really down to two things. 
You need to know him. And we got the text for it. And you have to know yourself. Because we're all different. Right? And he loves us in our massive differences. <laughs> now, above the enemies who surround me, at his secret tent, sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy and sing, make music to the Lord. I, I taught in the other class uh, the experience of Paul in Philippi. He was imprisoned there with Silas. He was beaten. We know that because the jailer later cleansed his wounds. But what did they do in this dark, damp uncertainty, they sang and they praised the Lord. Where did the Philippian jailer get the idea about salvation? He heard it. They were singing it. Right? So even in our darkest moment, which we all have, there's no reason not to sing. Right? You don't make light of it. Certainly. But we don't live in it. We live in something else. Now, the prayer. Verse 7. Hear my voice when I call. Be merciful to me. Answer me. I think all of us have gone through periods where we would say, why are you silent? My heart says to you, seek his, my heart says of you, seek his face. Turn to him. Your face, Lord, I will seek. This, David has his problems. Right? He's a little bit loose morally, one would say. He brought about the death of 19 innocent people, along with Uriah, who's called a Hittite. But Uriah was more godly than he was at that point. And at the end of his life, he numbers the people. He doesn't trust. And 70,000 are extinguished before an angel stands over Mount Moriah, where Jesus will be crucified, and says three words. It is finished. Jesus will say the same three words. Right? It is finished. Now he phrases it negatively. Verse 9. Do not hide your face from me. So you, I think you and I can talk very frankly to this guy. We don't need to mince pious words. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. We're not perfect people. We're spotted. But God sees us right through the beauty of his son. But he sees his son first. So far, so good. We are clothed. We are united with him. Do not reject me or forsake me. God my Savior. I don't think David thinks he can be forsaken, but we all have moments when we think he's terribly silent. 
That's all. Verse 10, though my father and mother forsake me, did Jesse forsake David? No, there's no record of it. So what's he doing? He's citing an extreme case. Moms are loyal. They, they don't forsake their children. So it's an illustration of extremity. Though my father and mother forsake me. Right? When I finished high school, my mother died at 17. It's in a bad time. My father gave me an ultimatum. In his heartbreak, I think. He said to me, John, don't go to college. Stay home. Inherit the farm. I couldn't do that. I was called to the ministry. But it was terribly lonely. A kid on the street at 17 makes some serious mistakes. <laughs> Makes for good stories later. Ah, this is really pretty. Look at the verbs. Teach me your way. Teach me. I think in our fears, we ask for something called relief. David asks for instruction. Lead me in a straight path. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake because of my oppressors. It's pretty. And now he turns negative. So you can voice it in the positive and the negative. There's nothing wrong with that. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. Right? For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. We've, had, we've all had that. So this little psalm basically says this. In times of uncertainty and trouble, we all need to simply turn to the Lord and trust him. That's all it says. It begins with an expression of confidence in him and extolling his character. Then it turns to asking. We can ask, right? But praise comes first. And then at the end of the little psalm, he turns back to confidence. This is really pretty. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. Isn't that pretty? I may not say it in this life, but a second in heaven will be the beginning of eternity, right? And the things I don't understand, I simply lay at his feet and say to him, oh, you've been around a lot longer than I have. You have collected more wisdom than I ever have. You never act 
contrary to who you are, I'll trust you. Right? That's how it comes down. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Right? Last chapter has not been written. And then he has these, these verbs that, that are, there are four of them, while well, one's repeated. Here, here's the bottom line of the whole darn psalm. Wait for the Lord. What does wait mean? It basically is a synonym for trust. Because you'd simply know that someday, you know, I often think there are many wrongs in this world. How will God make them all right? The answer is in a split second when he is ready, right? Wait for the Lord. That, it doesn't mean sit around on your hands. It means talk to him. But patiently know that the answer will come someday, right? Be strong. Isn't that great? Something to memorize. Don't be paralyzed into inactivity. Take heart. There's a bright day coming. And wait for the Lord. In everything, God has a purpose. And that purpose is his own glory. We are secondarily involved. We are not primarily involved in the intent of God. We serve his intent. Um, I always think, why did God make a tree? Now I love trees. Raised on a farm, I like trees. Did he make a tree so I could be shaded? Yes, but that's not the real purpose. The real purpose in which God made a tree was to see himself. The beauty of a tree, its proportion and shape. Okay, so we should look at the natural world and reflect on the invisible world. The natural world at best is just a shadow. And so that tells me why he made me. He made me to be a mirror. My job is... Oh, it's back. <laughs> All right, set your goals low enough, you can do it. Um, in the ninth century, uh, Irish missionary wrote a poem that was dedicated to the man who brought Christianity to Ireland, St. Patrick of Ireland. That poem was translated in the 19th century uh, and then set to music in the 20th century. You all know it, but I think it summarizes the great psalm. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. That's where we all are. Not all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light.
Isn't that pretty? Be thou my wisdom, and thou my true word. I ever with thee, and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father, I thy true Son, thou in me dwelling, and I with thee one. Isn't that pretty? Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart, high King of heaven, my treasure thou art. Isn't that pretty? My treasure. High King of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever be tied, still be my vision, O ruler of all. Isn't that pretty? I think that's Psalm 27. So my intent was small. It was to put a psalm in your mind. Okay, that's all. <laughs> now I know it is also the custom to ask questions. <laughs> I was forewarned, uh, browbeaten into submission. Um, do you have a question? I know I'm new and, uh, you know, it's standoffish, all that jazz. All that. Uh, I, I often employ the Senate, uh, they, they stand offish so my students don't ask me too much. Because <laughs> I don't know too much. Any questions about it? One here uh, with the mic because uh, I always tell my wife, and she's not here, so I can repeat it. At my age, what is not sagging is falling out. <laughs> Okay. Yes. Dr. Hanna, you mentioned the difference between Lord with a capital L. Yeah. But and there small. are also places where it's a capital L and capital O, capital R, capital D, yeah. and lowercase o r d. Yeah. Um, would you I can, explain well, that? If it's a capital L and small case O R D, it's the Hebrew word Elohim. It means mighty, creator, powerful. Um austere. And so you find that in Genesis 1. Uh, when you come to Genesis 2-4 with the creation of man, re mankind repeated, he changes the word. It's capital L-O-R-D, all caps. It means that, that this sovereign creator is one who stoops down to be our friend. It's powerful. It's just powerful. This one the eternally existent one who cares. Right? Who shall I say has sent me? Now, you know, Moses was like us. He, he was a fearful guy. God says, tell him I am has sent you. The one who will never fail. The one who is not susceptible to time. One who is not coerced by any influence outside himself. And so all of, God act, all of God's actions are rooted in his nature. 
We cannot necessitate him. We cannot force him. He does his good pleasure. And to be included in his pleasure is the greatest gift you and I can have. So we can sing to him, oh, how he loves you and me. That's the greatest mystery of all. He gave his life. What more could he give? Oh, how he loves you and me. Right? That'll put a lightness in your step. Yeah. I have to watch time because I, I'm aware. Dr. Hanna, from a historical standpoint, uh, how do we know the order of the Psalms? Oh, they're just made up. Yeah. Um, yeah, Re remember in, in, uh, in Kings, we are told that in the time of Hezekiah, there was a collection of Psalms. Uh, so uh, most of the Psalms, and there are four sections of the Psalms, four periods of collection. Um, so there's nothing sacred about the sequence. Now, sometimes there is, like Psalm 22 has that great phrase that Jesus said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 23 tells you the reason he was forsaken, to become our shepherd. So there, there's some continuity, uh, but these were, these were just, I, I don't mean just, uh, I, I don't want to denigrate the Holy Scriptures, but uh, they also have a history. And if you visit... Uh, the Shrine of the Book in Jerusalem at times, uh, they will display for you Psalm 151. I looked at that and said, duh. Um, there are many poems uh, that were written by David and Solomon and others, Asaph, uh, that did not make it, right? So the Spirit of God superintended not only the giving of the words and their content, but their preservation. It's a mystery. Uh, what is a mystery? A mystery is something of which there's no parallel, so you can't understand it. You and I learn analogically. We learn by example, by repetition, by reflection on repetition. One-time events boggle our minds. How can they be true? But if they're not true, you can't explain a lot in this world. Right? So far, so good. That's not the reason I believe it. I believe it because I, I met the big guy in the sky. All right? <laughs> That's bottom line stuff. One more question. They'll bring you a mic. Mine are the difference between trust and faith. I'm sorry, say it again. What's uh, the difference between trust and faith? Oh, trust and faith? Yeah. Um, faith has, I'm making this up. Okay, I, I'll, I'll tell you the real truth. I was going to sort of fake it. Um, if you study the Bible long enough, and I'm not saying that I have, you will come to the conclusion that there are many synonyms for ideas in the scriptures. If you think of the character of God, 
uh, how would I visualize the character of the invisible God? I would envision him as a many-faceted diamond. In the middle of that diamond, I'd put the word beauty and perfection. On the cut edges of the diamond, I would put his attributes. That pattern I find in us as well. There are many words for our immaterial nature. Mind, soul, body, heart, conscience. Are they looking at multiple things or one thing from different angles? So far, so good. Different nuances. When you look at the words for salvation, the subjective side of salvation, here are the words. Believe, accept, obey, repent, circumcise your heart. list goes on and on. Are they different words? They are. But aren't they describing the same thing? So faith, trust, believe, or repent. Repent is turning from something to something. Um, faith is counting something as true. Believe reflects on the content of that which is true. But it all looks at the same thing. Um, um, John one twelve has two of those in them. There's certainly parallels. So I, I think uh, as I get older, uh, I'm, I'm finding less in the Bible. because I'm finding repetition. And so I think God knew I was hired of learning. So he said it many different ways to get a very simple idea across to a dull mind. And, and at the end of the day, uh, we can add all kinds of paragraphs, footnotes, and all that, but we love him and trust him. Bottom line, that's it. So far, so good. Well, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, every once in a while, they let me out of my cage. <laughs> but I'll pray for us. For the privilege, our Father, of being part of the family of God, of walking a different path, perhaps for each of us, but a path that leads to the same place, the foot of the cross. We are very grateful. It was not our wisdom circumstance, breeding, ethnicity, prowess that brought us to Calvary, but you brought us there and showed us our great need, and not only our great need, but the sterling qualities of your Son, who stood in our place and bore our sorrows, and now says to us, enter into the joys of my kingdom. Bless this class of people. Guard them, guide them, help them not to live in the shadowy world of fears, but to turn their thoughts to you and how beautiful and kind, compassionate, generous you are to your people. We love you, our Father. 
and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. It's just a hoot. That's all it is. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Hannah. What a blessing. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. <laughs>